Hallelujah. He is everything to me. Amen. Everything. Paul said he's everything to me. He said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Um, He said, I have counted everything as rubbish, as dung, in order that I might know Christ. (laughs) He was everything to Paul. He's everything to me. Should be everything to us. Would you stand with me as we read from God's word? We're going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. <laughs> I like this, Pastor T. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Bear with me. There's a lot of names here that I've been working on trying to pronounce correctly. <laughs> um, God's holy, inspired, infallible word reads, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexandra the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, that they might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Aristus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudus and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Please be seated. And please join me as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for your kindness towards us, thanking you for your grace displayed towards us in your Son, Jesus Christ. 
We praise you this morning that by your grace, you have so transformed our hearts to where Jesus really is everything to the redeemed. Father, we pray that that would be true more and more. We do pray that everything in this world in this world really would look like rubbish in comparison to Christ. Oh, Father, would you stamp eternity on our eyes and stamp eternity on our hearts as we look at what Paul has penned here, the final words that he has written, Father, we pray um, that you would give us more of a desire to want to live our lives in light of eternity. We pray, Father, that you would help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. He is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray, O oh God, that as I preach and proclaim your word, that you would help me by your spirit to shine the spotlight on Jesus. Magnify your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that your word will go forth and encourage and convict of sin and build people up and point them to you. I pray, Father, that you would have your way. I pray that you would saturate this place with your presence, God. Give us a sense of who you are today more and more as we look at your scriptures, God. We want to be more like your son. We want to be conformed more into the likeness of his image. We want to look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, respond more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. So would you help us? And Father, for those who are here who don't know you, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know that no man can come to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. So, oh, Father, would you please draw men and women and children to yourself today. Take out their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh and put your spirit within them. Raise them from the dead spiritually. Grant repentance to them and cause them to turn and put their trust in Jesus. So, Father, speak to us now. Teach us what it means to persevere, but even more so, help us to trust in you. You who are a persevering God who perseveres us to the end. We praise you. You are faithful. We pray this in Jesus' mighty, miraculous, matchless name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are coming to the very end of 2 Timothy. We're coming to the final words of Paul. The final words that was penned before he goes to be home with King Jesus. Just to give a little overview, um, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Paul writes to his son, and he calls him his beloved child. He writes to his beloved child in the faith, Timothy. And he tells Timothy to hold fast to what he had learned. Um, he says to Timothy, you are acquainted with the sacred scriptures. He says, Timothy, you have learned this faith from your mom and your grandmom, and you've also learned these scriptures from me. So Timothy, I want you to hold fast to what you have learned. And then he says, Timothy, I want you to guard this good deposit. 
Guard this good deposit, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guard this good deposit, which is the word of God. And then Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he says, I want you to entrust that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he says, Timothy, remember this word, preach this word, proclaim this word, and you need to be a a hard-working farmer, Timothy. You need to work hard with this gospel truth. Know that this is not going to be easy because you're going to have workers who are laboring against the truth, but you need to be a worker who's laboring for the truth, Timothy. And he says, there's coming a day uh, when there's going to be just godliness more and more in the last days. He says, Timothy, there's going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, people who are proud and arrogant and abusive and disobedient to their parents. He says in in chapter 3, verse 2, they're going to be ungrateful and unholy. Verse 3, heartless and unappeasable, slanderous and without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous. They're going to be reckless. They're going to be swollen with conceit. People are going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He's like, Timothy, I want you to avoid such people. And I want you to preach this word in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, while people are departing from the faith, while there's false teachers who are rising up and coming against this message, preach this word. This word that is powerful. Remember, Timothy, he says, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good word. And he says, Timothy, in the beginning of of chapter four, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. And he says in verse 2, preach the word. So he says, Timothy, in light of God who's going to judge the living and the dead, in light of God who sees everything, preach the word. Preach this word, Timothy. Know that you're going to have to give an account ultimately to him. And men are going to have to give an account to him. Preach this word, Timothy. Don't shrink back. Preach this word in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Preach this word. And then we come now to the very end of chapter 4, where Paul writes words that are very sad. And at the same time, we see in this passage that there's words that, that are written that are very beautiful as well. So we see sadness and beauty sandwiched together in this passage. Um, for those of you who are taking notes, I'm going to give you my outline real quick. And just so y'all know, it's, this is a difficult passage to outline. It is not easy, because there is a lot going on in this passage. But I'm going to share with you how I outlined this passage for you who are taking notes. 
um, in verses 9 through 13, we see Paul's friends. In verses 14 through 16, we see Paul's foes, meaning his enemies. In verses 17 through 18, we see God's faithfulness. And in verses 19 through 22, we see Paul's final words. Again, in verses 9 through 13, we see Paul's friends. In verses 14 through 16, we see Paul's foes, meaning his enemies. In verses 17 through 18, we see God's faithfulness. And in verses 19 through 22, we see Paul's final words. So in verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 9, Paul tells Timothy, he says, do your best to come to me soon. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon. In verse 9 of this passage, the apostle Paul tells Timothy to come to him quickly. He knew that he didn't have much time to live, and he was longing to see Timothy one last time. From the preceding verses, it is very evident that Paul knew that death was right around the corner. He says in verses 6 and 8, look with me, verses 6 and 8 of chapter 4, or verses 6 through 8 of chapter 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the fight, past tense. I have fought the good fight, past tense. I have finished the race, past tense. I have kept the faith. And then he says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul knew death was near. And because of that, He wanted his dear friend and his beloved son in the faith to come to him soon. He goes on to mention another person by the name of Demas, who Paul said was in love with this world. In verse 10, it says, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. Now you have to feel the weight of what Paul is saying here. Paul says that Demas deserted him. That's a strong word. Deserted me. Paul's saying that Demas abandoned him, and he abandoned him in a time when he really needed him. The apostle Paul was facing a death sentence, and that's when Demas deserted him. I know that this was really hard for Paul. It was tough for him. This reality was something I'm sure that caused, is is something that caused him to really fight feelings of being very angry at Demas. It was something that deeply hurt him. It was something that deeply troubled him. 
And this reality is something that Paul really had to deal with because Demas was considered a companion. In Colossians 4.14, Paul mentions that Luke, the beloved doctor, sends greetings, and so does Demas. In Philemon 1.24, Demas is listed with a group of people as one of Paul's fellow workers. Demas was someone who labored with Paul in ministry. So you could only imagine how the Apostle Paul felt. You could only imagine what he was dealing with. Knowing that one of the people that he had labored with in ministry left and deserted him in a time when he really, really needed him in a time when he was going through severe suffering. What's even worse is the reason why Demas deserted him. The text says because he was in love with this present world. There's a sharp contrast between verse 8 and verse 10. Look at it with me. Verse 8 says this, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Listen, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then we see in verse 10 that Demas was in love with this present world. So you see there's a contrast. For those who love Jesus, they love his appearing. But for those who, who love the world, they love things that can't bring them true satisfaction. And they definitely love things that are not able to bring them home to glory. Only Christ can do that. Only Jesus can do that. What was it in Thessalonica that drew Demas away? What was it that was so good to the flesh that it was luring Demas away? Was it money? Was it a woman? What was so pleasurable in this world that it made Demas want to walk away from Christ? Demas' life serves as a warning for us. A lot of us may say, well, I won't do that. I'll, I won't walk away like Demas. There's no possible way. I want to remind you that Demas was someone who labored side by side with the Apostle Paul. He heard him preaching and proclaiming the scriptures, preaching and proclaiming Christ. He, he, he understood and knew his theology. He saw Paul suffer for the gospel, suffer for the truth. He knew of Paul's testimony, how he was a persecutor of the church, and how he went to watching Christians uh, being murdered, and how Paul even endorsed that, but how he was transformed and became a missionary. This is Demas who walked with him and knew him well, but deserted him. So if Demas can desert the ministry and turn from Christ and turn from Paul, what makes us think that 
we are not subject to that as well. The Bible makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks they're strong take heed, lest they fall. I want to say to you today, Maybe you're dibbling and dabbling in the world. Maybe some of you in here are dibbling and dabbling in the world. And you think that there's no problem with it. You think that you can play with the world and return back to Jesus whenever you want. I want to encourage you to flee the world. I want to encourage you to flee the pleasures of the world. I want to encourage you to flee sin. And the reason why I want to encourage you to flee sin is because Christ is better. Don't choose sin in this world over Jesus. Jesus is infinitely more better than the pleasures in this world. Demas got the short end of the stick. He should have stuck with Jesus. And for us who are pursuing Jesus and not going after the world, I just want to say this. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by God's grace that we continue to pursue Jesus, that we continue to come to church, that we continue to read God's word, that we can remain in fellowship, that we turn from the things of the world when we're convicted of sin. So may, may we praise God that he has set us free from the world and continues to do so by his grace. This is no small thing. Let us rejoice in Jesus. James 4.4 4 says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to pause there because I just, just want to ask you that if you find yourself loving the world, I want to ask you if you find yourself loving the world, I want to ask you to consider what will that mean for you in the end? If you pursue the world over Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear that those who love the world don't love the Father, that the Father's not in them. I want to encourage you to repent today of your sin and trust in Christ. Trust in Jesus turn from the world and turn to Jesus. Turn to the only one who can truly satisfy you. The only one who can truly set you free. The only one that you can find refuge in from God's wrath and judgment. Only in Jesus. Paul goes on to say in verse 10 that Crescens, Crescens and Timothy had left them as well. But it was not for the same reason as Demas. Crescent 
had gone to Galatia, and Titus had gone to Dalmatia. Both these people also worked closely with Paul. Um, now, from my understanding, this is the only place that Crescens is mentioned, but obviously he was a, a, a fellow worker with Paul. But Timothy's mentioned a whole lot. Um, Titus, I'm sorry, Titus has mentioned a whole lot. Um, and the Bible talks about Titus a whole lot. And Titus was clearly someone that Paul loved very, very much. Titus was someone who Paul poured his life into. If you look at just the beginning of Titus chapter 1, verse 4, the word says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. (laughs) So here it was, Titus was someone who was Paul's true child in a common faith. That's the way that he saw Titus. And Titus was someone who labored with the Apostle Paul as well. Paul said in Titus 1.5 that the reason why he had left Titus in Crete was because he wanted him to put what remained in order and to appoint elders in every town as he directed him. So we see that Titus was someone who labored with Paul. Um, He was laboring in Crete. He was appointing elders. He was strengthening the church. Uh, Titus had a gift that God had given him to build leaders up and to build churches up. And Titus labored faithfully with the apostle Paul. So praise God for the gift that God had given Titus to build up the church. And then we see in the very beginning of uh, chapter 11, Luke, he mentions a man by the name of Luke, who he says is alone with me. So Luke was someone who also traveled with Paul. Luke was a faithful man. Um, Luke was a doctor. And I think it's beautiful as you look at the scriptures, you see Luke was just about um, everywhere with Paul. And it was awesome because it was like Paul basically had a personal doctor. And he needed it. Because there was times where he was stoned and left for dead. Um, There's times uh, where the Bible says um, where he he was beat with Roman rods. Um, He was shipwrecked. I mean, he went through sickness. There were so many things that he endured for the sake of the gospel. And praise God for Luke, this doctor who was by his side, who cared for Paul and and, um, attended to Paul's wounds. Um, But Luke was also someone who wrote the book of Luke. He was also someone who penned Acts. Um, He was a historian. He was someone who God used. So here's another faithful laborer, a faithful friend who was with the Apostle Paul. And then the Bible says that Paul said to get Mark. Mentions another person by the name of Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for the ministry. In verse 11 we see a beautiful picture of restoration. You have to understand that in Acts 15, there um, was this tension between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And the reason why there was this tension is because Mark 
um, when times got hard, Mark shrunk back. And Mark left them when times got hard as they were preaching and proclaiming Christ. He deserted them. So um, there, there came a time when Barnabas wanted to continue to bring Mark with them um, for ministry. And Paul was just like, nah, we're not bringing that dude. That dude dipped on us when things got hard. So, nah, Mark, he's not coming with us. So Barnabas is like, nah, listen, we need to bring him with us. Come on, Paul, we, we need to bring him on this journey. And, and Paul's like, nah, I'm not feeling that. So the Bible says that there was a sharp disagreement between, between Paul and Barnabas. And it says that Barnabas wanted his own way with Mark, who was his cousin, and Paul went another direction with a man by the name of Silas. And they went their separate ways. So you have to understand, this is years and years and years later when we see the Apostle Paul say, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. I mean, this is amazing to see this type of reconciliation and this type of restoration. This is beautiful. But we must ask ourselves, what can we learn from this story? One of the things that we can learn is that Paul had weaknesses, just like us. And Paul battled with things just like us. And there's been people who have argued saying, no, no, Paul was right. He was right. He was right to say, you know what, Mark? You need to stay where you're at um, and not come with us. And there's other people who would argue saying, no, no, Barnabas was right. He showed Mark grace, and Paul should have showed him grace. What we do know is that Paul was basically opposed to Mark coming at one time, and now he's saying Mark is very useful for the ministry. So something happened there that is incredible. And we see that God was working in the Apostle Paul in all of that time, but God was also working in Mark in that time. He was working greater faithfulness and, and uh, more of a surrendered heart in Paul, and he was working greater faithfulness in Mark and more of a surrendered heart in Mark. So something else that this story teaches us is that God restores the fallen. And he also uses those who have failed. Mark is a prime example of this. Mark who had fallen or failed, then went on to be used by God to even write the book of Mark. This is incredible to see how God uses those who have fallen, those who have failed. He doesn't just restore us, but then he uses us for his glory. You may be so tempted in so many ways to think, how can God use me? I've fallen, I've failed, I've been a disappointment. All you need to do is look at God's track record of restoring people and using them. And as you look at God's track record of him restoring people and using them, let that encourage you that he can restore you and use you mightily for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. So in verse 12, a person named Tychicus is mentioned. 
And um, this is what the Apostle Paul says of this person, Tychicus. He says this in Colossians 4.7. It says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And if you just look, this, look through the scriptures, Tychicus was someone who delivered the message to different churches. I mean, what a responsibility to have someone who goes and delivers the word of God <laughs> to different churches and different people. What I love about these verses is it shows how there's so many different people who's a part of the body being used for God's kingdom. It shows that ministry is not a solo type of event, um, but that we need a band of brothers, a band of sisters together to fulfill the Great Commission. So I love how all of these different names are being pointed out, and we see Tychicus, who was sent to Ephesus. It could be that Tychicus was being sent to Ephesus because Paul was also um, telling Timothy to come and visit him. So Timothy had to leave Ephesus in order to get to where Paul was in Rome. So he could have been sending Tychicus to take his place um, while Timothy was traveling to Rome. Um, That's an assumption, but that could be the case. So in verse 13, it says, when you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Now, I think this is just an interesting verse. Because, Paul, you could have got another coat. You could have asked someone to bring you another coat. You could have asked someone to buy you another coat. Some scholars would say that um, the economy was so bad at that time that you know, Paul was asking for the one coat that he had. So he couldn't get another coat. Others would say that the apostle Paul um, was just content with having his one coat. And that was enough for him. Um, what we know about this coat is it was just a piece of wool that was thick with a hole in it. You put it over your head and it would keep... Um, just the weather from your skin. But he asked for this coat, and then he says um, to also uh, stop by and go to Troas, where Carpus is, um, and to pick up my books and above all, my parchments. Now, what's crazy about this is here it is, the Apostle Paul is about to die. And look at what he's requesting. It seems very simple. He wants companionship, he wants to be warm, and he wants his books and the scriptures. Now what's beautiful about that is here it is, he's about to die, but Paul remained a devoted reader all the way to the end of his life. Here it is, he's about to die and go to see Jesus face to face but he wants more of the scriptures. He wants more of Jesus. He wants to read more of his word. 
and you just see a man who is dedicated to God's word, even in the circumstances that he's in. He's like, would you just bring the books, bring the parchments? Why? Because he wants his heart to be satisfied in his Christ. He wants to meditate on the very promises that, um, that are so true and that are so real. And he wants to meditate in a time of hardship, a time of suffering. So I love this, that Paul has given himself to the word even in his final hours. This is something that we need to think about because the question that we must ask ourselves is how will we die well? When it's coming to our final months, maybe our final days, may Paul be an example of what it looks like to meditate on the Lord that we will go and see. In those times, what's going to keep us encouraged is God's faithful promises towards his children. So let's do all that we can to continue to devour the word to eat the word, if we can't see, to have someone else read the word to us. Because man can't live by bread alone, but by every single word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need God's word. And we see how vital God's word is just by looking at his life. That's one example. But there's so many. We see in verses 14 and 16... Paul's foes or enemies. Verse 14 says, Alexandra the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So he says, this man, Alexandra the coppersmith, man, he did me great harm. He's like, he didn't just harm me. He did me great harm. And he could have said a whole bunch of other things after that. A whole bunch of other things could have been pinned. But this is what he ends up saying. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I think that's such an example of how we should respond to people who we have filled harm by. We should not try to uh, seek revenge on our own but we should leave it in the hands of the Lord, knowing that the judge of all the earth will do right. And we pray for those individuals, and we trust that God will deal with them. So he says, Alexander the coppersmith, he did me great harm, but the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Verse 15, beware of him yourself, Timothy, for he strongly opposed my message He says, Timothy, you need to beware of him. And it could be um, while Timothy was traveling from Ephesus to Rome, maybe Paul was thinking Timothy might run into Alexander the coppersmith, the metal worker. He might run into him. So let me tell Timothy to beware, to beware of him because he strongly opposed our message. Then he says in verse 16, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me. I mean, just feel the weight of that. He says, in my first offense, no one came to stand by me. Even all of these friends who were so faithful, no one came and stood by 
Paul. And it could be different circumstances. Maybe some were sick. Maybe some were far, far away, just um, giving themselves totally to the ministry. But whatever the circumstance was, no one came to his defense. No one stood by Paul. No one. And then he goes on to say, all deserted me. You got to feel the pain here. No one came to my defense. All deserted me. Everyone deserted me. That's tough when you read that. It's sad when you read that. That no one stood by him. All deserted him. But look at how he responds, which is stunning. He says, may it not be charged against them. Huh? May it not be charged against them. Here's a man who feels hurt by friends and hurt by individuals who have deserted him, but instead of being in a place of bitterness, he chooses to be a man of forgiveness. What a model for us. What a model for us when we feel hurt or when we feel people have deserted us because of whatever circumstance it may be to not hold bitterness but to react with forgiveness. Bitterness will eat you alive. But Paul, he responds with forgiveness. And if you ask me, this smells so much like Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be deserted. He knows it. In Mark 14, 50, it talks about how when they came to seize Jesus, that the disciples deserted him and ran away. He knows what it's like to be deserted. And I'm sure Paul's thinking of his Savior and thinking of how the disciples even deserted his Savior, but how his Savior responded with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Even worse, Jesus knows what it's like to be forsaken by his Father on the cross. In the fullness of time, this Christ, this Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, was rejected by men and crucified on a cross. And on that cross, the Bible says that he bore the sins of the world inside his body. And while you had disciples who didn't even want to identify themselves with Jesus, like Peter who was saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. People deserted him. Jesus is on that cross continuously loving people, even to where he says out of his mouth, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's being deserted by people But on that cross, he also says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? He can identify with what it means to be deserted, what it means to be forsaken. But Jesus Christ was deserted by 
disciples and forsaken by ultimately the Father so that we would never be forsaken for those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, we are forgiven. He now says to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You might be here in this room and maybe you have people who have forsaken you or let you down. Maybe even Christians. But don't allow that to be what makes you turn from Jesus. As people, we are flawed. Christians are flawed. We are sinners. We need a savior just as much as the lost do. We need a Christ just as much as unbelievers. As believers, we need the gospel just as much as those who are turning their nose up at the gospel. We need Jesus. So just because maybe Christians have hurt you, don't allow that to be why you turn from God. If anything, turn to him because he's the one who will always be faithful to you. He will never leave you. He will always be there and he keeps all of his promises. He's a faithful God. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know this Jesus, know that he's a loving father who welcomes you to come. Repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and put your trust in Jesus, who is faithful. He's a faithful God. Jesus died on the cross so that sinners like us could be made new creatures in Christ. When we trust in Jesus, our old nature passes away, and behold, we become new. And this same world that so many people are pursuing this worldliness that people are pursuing in this world, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son to die for people in the world so that we could be forgiven. Come to him today and put your trust in this Christ who is faithful, who will not only save you, but transform you more and more into the likeness of Jesus and bring you home all the way to glory. He is a faithful God, and we see that in verses 17 and 18. Paul goes on to say, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and that all the Gentiles might hear it. And then he says, So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I love that verse. Paul makes it very clear that the Lord strengthened him when he didn't have strength. When no one else showed up, there was one who did, and that was his God. And God strengthened him. He strengthened him when he was weak, and he strengthened him to preach the message, to proclaim it fully to the Gentiles. So here it is, Paul is standing in front of a large crowd before judges and maybe even perhaps the emperor of Rome itself. And he's standing before these people and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
boldly because he know he knows according to Romans 1:16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and he preaches this gospel so when he goes on to say that he was rescued from the lion's mouth he could have just been persecuted i mean or put to death right there but his life was actually spared um What Paul is saying when he says he was rescued from the lion's mouth is even in a circumstance like that, God protected him um, from serious, serious uh, persecution and affliction. And it's interesting because he's actually quoting something from Psalm 22, 21. If you want to look there with me, Psalm 22, 21 where it says, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So here it is, Paul is, (laughs) scripture is flowing out of him from Psalm. And he's talking about how he was rescued from the lion's mouth. And even though that, even though he was about to be decapitated and lose his head, the, the lying who Peter talks about, who, um, um, who is Satan, um, the Bible says that uh, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he could devour. Um, even though Paul was going to lose his head, we see that God brings him safely home. And death has no sting whatsoever. Satan can't harm him at all. Again, no one can persecute Paul. No one can chain him up. No one can put him in prison. Um, God brings him to his heavenly home. We see that in verse 18. It says, the Lord will rescue me from every, every, every The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's praising the Lord over this. How do I know? Because it's followed by doxology. He ends up saying after that, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul knows and he knew that God was going to be faithful to his promises. And then we see his final words. He mentions a whole bunch of other people. His final words in 19 through 22. He says, greet Prisca, or that could be translated Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. These were dear friends to him. Aquila and Priscilla were very dear friends to him who labored with him in ministry. We know that Onesiphorus, the Bible says, um, visited Paul in prison. The Bible says that he refreshed him. Onesiphorus was even willing to put his life on the line to go and refresh the apostle Paul. So he says, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Greet Onesiphorus' whole household. I have such a love for them. And then we see Erastus remained in Corinth, and he says, I left Troas, who was ill. He was sick in Miletus. And then in verse 21, he says, Timothy, do your best to come to me before winter. 
He knows that he doesn't have much time. Do your best to come to me before winter. And then the Bible mentions these other names. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudus and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Now, these names, from my understanding, I couldn't find them anywhere else in the Bible. So this is the only time that these people, um, from my understanding, are mentioned. And what's beautiful is he mentions these men, he mentions this, this person who I believe is a woman, Claudia, and then he mentions all the brothers. And what's awesome about this is these people are mentioned, and really I couldn't find them any other, in any other place in scripture, but what's awesome about this is um, these are people who were faithful, who were unknown. Faithful individuals who were unknown, faithful in ministry, faithful to the Lord, faithful to the church. And this makes me praise God because there's so many people who are faithful that we never get to hear about. There's so many individuals who are faithful who are not speaking at the conferences that we go to. There's so many people who are faithful to the Lord who are not on the screen when we click play for YouTube. There's people who are serving faithfully, even in this church, people who are serving faithfully all the time that we never get to see what they do. But the beautiful thing is that God sees it. God knows it. And he rejoices. He rejoices over your faithfulness. So if you feel like no one has recognized what you're doing before the Lord, just know that God notices it. And the Lord tells us to work onto the Lord and not onto men anyway. So let's be faithful to our Lord, whether people see it or not. He ends by saying something so beautiful. <laughs> Verse 22, he says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, this, these four words at the very end really stuck out to me. Grace be with you. And the reason for being is because Paul was a preacher of grace. I mean, just think, when he was converted on the road to Damascus, on the way to persecute Christians, Christ appears to him, and he is transformed. He becomes a person who loves Jesus and who boasts in grace. So much so that he ends up saying things like this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. If you see anything in me, it's all because of God's grace. And I think it's so beautiful that he ends this letter by saying those words, grace be with you. The same grace that transformed me, the same grace that transformed you, grace be with you. If we're followers of Jesus this morning, it's all by his grace. May grace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. May grace be with you. So here's a few applications. Number one. We should have a network of friends, 
brothers and sisters in the Lord who we do ministry with. Notice all of these people that Paul mentions. He wasn't a lone ranger. When we talk about the Apostle Paul, a lot of times we just seem to focus on him, but we don't take the time a lot of times to think about all of the ministry tasks that Paul was delegating. We don't take the time to think a lot of times about all the individuals who labored with him who were faithful, brothers and sisters. So when it came to the Great Commission, there was a band of brothers and sisters who were with him, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, ministering, making disciples, giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. So may we seek to have faithful friends, brothers and sisters in our network as well. Two, we are individually gifted for building up the body for the service of God. Every last one of you, ARC, has a gift. Every last one. All of these people were gifted in different ways. And God used all of them. And in the same way, God has given you a gift to build up the body. If you're not involved at ARC yet, get involved. Get involved. See how God would see fit to use your gift to build up the body. See how the Lord wants to work through you. You'll find great joy in serving the Lord and building up the body with the gift that he has given you. Number three, we must be careful of loving the world and deserting Christ. Even a chosen leader like Judas and Demas fell into the love of this world. No one is immune to this. May we focus our hearts consistently on Jesus. May we use the means of grace that has been given to us, the fellowship of believers, coming to hear the word of God, coming to Bible study. The Bible makes it very clear to exhort one another every single day so that your heart doesn't fall into the deceitfulness of sin. We need to use all of the means of grace that God has given us, fellowship, prayer, Bible reading, because our hearts are prone to wonder. But we have a faithful God who keeps us, and he perseveres us to the end, but he uses means. Don't neglect all the commandments in the word. And one of them, he says, to forsake not the fellowship of the saints, the gathering of his people. Number four, leave vengeance to the Lord. The Lord will repay according to one's deeds. Let's strive by the grace of God to be forgiven people. And where we feel people have wronged us, let's leave it in the Lord's hands. Because the truth is, we all know we have wronged other people. And we want to be forgiven. So in the same way, may we forgive. Number five, be so content by God's grace and so full of faith in the Lord that even when no one else is with you in your most vulnerable and most difficult circumstance in life, you are able to be forgiven towards others, be strengthened in the Lord, 
and praise and rejoice in the Lord, even in hard times, even in hardships, by his grace. Number six, this is the last one. Trust that God will preserve you to the end. That he will keep his promise and rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. And as Paul ended in doxology, I ended doxology. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you, Father, that it's by your grace and your grace alone that we are saved because none of us could have saved ourselves. We thank you that it's not by works that we are saved because our best deeds are as filthy rags. We have nothing to boast in. Our salvation is all by grace. It's all by you. So we rejoice in your salvation. We rejoice in who you are. Thank you for saving the Apostle Paul. Thank you for saving Timothy. Thank you for saving Luke. Thank you for saving Priscilla and Aquila and so many more thank you for saving us thank you for saving me and thank you Father that you not only save us but you sanctify us your Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and you shape us and mold us more into the likeness of your son and even when times are hard You deliver us out of every hardship. Even when times are hard, you are always there. And even the hardships that you don't deliver us out of at that present time, ultimately, your word makes it very clear that you will deliver us from every single evil and you will bring us to our our heavenly home to be with you for all eternity. Oh God, would you help us to fix our eyes on your promises? Help us to fix our eyes on your word. Help us to continue to know that you're a God who will help us to persevere to the end. Your your word says that if you began a good work in us, you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The reason why Paul was able to think of other people even in the midst of him about to have his head decapitated off his shoulders is because he wasn't dwelling on the now, but more so on what was to come. He had an eternal focus. And Father, I pray that you would give us all the eternal focus. We get so distracted. We get so distracted by so many different things that we lose that eternal perspective. Oh God, Would you recalibrate us? And would you help us, Father, to look to your word, to your promises, 
to your truth and hold fast, knowing that you're the one who ultimately holds us fast. So Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you that you're a faithful God and we have 10,000 reasons to praise you and more. We pray this in Jesus' matchless son. Amen.